Television podcast. I'm Liz Shannon Miller at Lizard on the Twitters. I'm Ben Travers of NT Travers on the Twitters. And congratulations, Ben. We've hit 150 episodes. And between in those 150 episodes, there's only been like, I feel like 25% of them have involved some sort of death threat made between you or me or vice versa. So I feel like that's pretty good. I feel like that's low. <laughs> I feel like it's higher. It's probably a higher number. I feel like we had a good streak going there where we probably got like 10 or 12 in a row. Uh, <laughs> and that was, you know, back in the day. So we forgot about it a little bit. But, I mean, even setting that aside, I'd say that, uh, you know, we barely made it 150. Like skin of our teeth. Yeah. Just recording today alone proved to be slightly challenging. But we've done it. We've, we've done it. We've we've braved the elements. Mm-hmm. We've braved coast-to-coast distances. Yes. We've... Uh, we have recorded uh, this podcast internationally. We've recorded oh. this podcast in, you know, under under extreme pressure from, you know, time and space and whatnot. Yeah, people have watched us do this. That's a lot of pressure. That is. We've never done, like, the whole, like, live podcast thing, but that... that we'll get there. We'll, we'll get there. We'll figure it out. It would be fun to do. We'd have to actually nail it on the first go, though, which might be difficult. You wouldn't have to deliberately screw with me at the beginning of recording every time? No, I'm saying that that would be the difficult part. Like, I <laughs> don't have to know hold how that in. I'd resist doing it, especially if we were, like, on a stage in front of people. And I, you know, could actually do the start of The Greatest Showman where, like, you know, the lights are down. And then he just starts whispering into the microphone. And he just talks to you very slowly. And then it's just boom, boom. Boom. Lots of stomping. It's lots great. of stomping. Yeah, definitely have to have lots of stomping. Yeah, I, I don't like, know how I could not do that. Yeah, I don't know. But I bet we can make that work someday. But in the meantime, we're going to do this. You mean action. with the Greatest Showman stuff? I mean, we'll see if you still care about it by the time we get to it. <sighs> Maybe he will come on by then. Maybe he will be ready for us by then. I think, yeah. He needs some time to prepare. <laughs> this isn't some $80 million passion project musical for 20th century fox this is the very good tv podcast yeah yeah recording recording live at our desks here in uh, sunny los angeles you've heard that we got 17 extra minutes of sunshine uh this week this week that's disgusting you like the sun i hate it well i mean it's been like daylight it's winter yeah but we got more daylight that's probably why it's 80 degrees today that is probably why gross yeah okay so Congratulations on it. We, we hit 150. Sorry to anyone who's actually listened to all 150. <laughs> Can't believe you guys have all listened to 150 of these. I mean, just that last spiel alone should have sent you running for the hills. Don't say things like that. I um, know. Liz is here. It's okay. I'm here. Liz will keep talking. I'll stop. Well, no. We're gonna, we're gonna, here, here's what we're going to talk about today and kind of tribute to the things we like most in TV, uh, which is basically what this podcast has always been. We're going to talk oh. about big swings. We're going to talk about shows that take a chance, that really go for it some, from time to time. And uh, Ben wants to very specifically hook this into a new HBO release coming out right now. Yeah, I do. Uh, I, I like to make the, the podcast as topical as possible when we're not, you know, here to, to talk about... What was that one we did not that long ago? It was a few back where it was, like, completely random... We just literally, it was uh, it was during TCAs when we hadn't talked to each other for like a week because of yeah. scheduling. So we just put down the clock and we talked for 20 minutes. Yeah. I feel like we dedicated a show to somebody recently. 
where he didn't have any topical ties. It doesn't matter. Um, the point being, th- there's a new HBO drama out, which is always exciting. Uh, this one by Alan Ball, who has a great history with HBO, including True Blood as well as Six Feet Under, uh, both of which I imagine have completely different fan bases, <laughs> but at the same time, very, very strong and passionate fan bases. Um, and his new one is also very different from what he's done before. I'd, I'd liken it more to Six Feet Under, but it yeah. definitely has some some qualities of, of True Blood mixed in as well, so maybe you could argue it's a weird combination of the two. Um, but, uh, of course, I'm talking about Here and Now. Uh, it stars Tim Robbins and Holly Hunter, and it's gotten pretty bad reviews. Pretty bad. I've, I've definitely seen, like, more bad than good. Yeah, it's it's. I think it's sitting in the 40s or 50s on Metacritic right now, which is not particularly good, even, or especially for an HBO show, as I should say. But um, but it's it's an... It's a fascinating show, and I mean that without any sort of kind of strongly positive attribute that can often be linked to that word. But it is it will draw you in no matter what the reason, whether you actually love it for the quality or the characters or whether you're just kind of trying to figure out what's going on. It is a show that will hold your interest, and a lot of that credit goes to, I mean both the very basic setup and, and how it's how it's brought about to kind of the <laughs> the bonkers execution of some of the more supernatural twisty surprises that also are uh, you know part of this family drama on HBO uh, but the point being even though it got bad reviews even though even I I gave it a fairly negative review um, I really enjoyed this show. I liked watching this show. I was happier to talk about this show um, than a lot of the kind of middle of the road. These things are similar to other stuff we've seen before. They owe a lot to stuff we've seen before. They're familiar in a way that, you know, can be comforting but can also just be boring. I enjoyed talking about these kind of shows like Here and Now more than the ones that might be technically objectively better shows. Um, I think about Altered Carbon when I think about this kind of show. It feels to me like very much a by-the-book sci-fi story cribbed from elements of far better sci-fi stories. Um, But it's perfectly functional. Uh, It has a big budget behind it, so there's a lot of beauty to it, uh, even if a lot of the visuals are cribbed, again, from Blade Runner. Um, But I, there was a lot to talk about with that show, as we did last week. Um, But the discussion around here and now, to me, is inherently more compelling and them taking a big swing, to get back to Liz's original point, is much more interesting to me um, in terms of television these days than a lot of other shows out there. So it's almost like, it's kind of like roadies. <laughs> like, remember roadies, Liz? Of course I, actually I was, roadies. I was thinking about Here and Now in the exact same context, because at, at this point I'd be surprised if Here and Now survives to see a season two just based off the critical reception alone, because HBO does not like uh, bad reviews associated with their dramas. They, they don't want to deal with that. Right. Um, could be a ratings hit. Who knows? I doubt it. We don't know. Anyway, point being, I was thinking about Roadies because Roadies was something where it was a it was a bad show. It was okay at the start, and then it just kind of had some episodes that were just, you know, horribly confounding and, Look, and frustrating. Rape is a subjective <laughs> Jesus. thing. Yeah. That whole yeah, whole yeah, there's, rape. A, there's a very unfortunate storyline in Roadies uh, that would probably probably plays even worse today. And also the like the third episode I think is the one where they they brought in Rain Wilson as this critic of the band who was just a fucking imbecile and it was like Cameron Crowe was trying to unleash all of his Isn't years he the one of who gets sexually assaulted? Yes. 
but it's that's but it's not the only jokes. problem yeah. <laughs> associated with the story slash right. episode slash series. But point being, it was a pretty bad show, but it was one where I kind of got sucked in and ended up watching the whole thing. And when it ended and got canceled, um, you were sad. You wrote something. I was kind of sad. Yeah, I was just like, you know, there's an there was nice to see. In this case, it was nice to see a show. Um, that was trying to be really kind and positive and rally some some good spirits. It was a good intention show. It was trying to do a lot of positive things, even with you know its weird digressions into horrible territory like rape, and and uh, pointedly targeting critics in a nasty way. Um, but it was nice to see that on TV, and it was nice to see it's nice to see here and now on TV. It's nice to see a show that feels very unfamiliar. Um, so obviously, some elements of it, of it are have been done before. It's not breaking yeah. entirely new ground by any means. But the basic construction of it and what it's about is new. And that's nice. It's nice to see a big swing. Right. Um, for me, my equivalent to when in that conversation when you mentioned Altered Carbon and feeling kind of just like it wasn't fun to talk about, my version of that is The Punisher, um, which is technically a half-decent, is a pretty good show. Like, it is objectively not a bad television show. However, I was so bored watching that thing. Like, it was just like... If, if it it really was like, I mean, clearly if it had not suffered from classic Marvel bloat, like if that show had been eight episodes, I think it would have been really solid um, and a lot more, be- a lot better paced. But instead it was just dragged and it wasn't, it wasn't really change, moving the needle. Like it was taking on a couple of new subjects in an interesting way. But yeah, like I would 100% watch another, uh, like, you know, Sensate season two over again than watch, uh, than ever watch, like, The Punisher over again. Um, and I think, and I feel like that's like, always been something that we've made this podcast about, is celebrating the people who take chances, even if those chances don't pay out in the long run. And, I mean, this is where I set Ben up to talk about The Leftovers. Um, but, I mean, Ben, thinking about The Leftovers, is there one particular one particular creative choice they made that you like when it was first happening when you were first watching it were you on the edge of your seat like oh I don't know if this is going to work or not but I can't wait to see what they're going to do with it Well you feel that way honestly through the through the beginning episodes I really love the beginning episodes I love the first season of of The Leftovers which is on the record <laughs> for Far too many words, probably, but in my mind, far too few. I want to actually, at one point, I'm going to add them up like, as, a, as a small present for you. I'm going to add up how many words you've written about the leftovers in total. Oh, boy. And then uh, we're going to find out whether or not, essentially, you've written a novel. Well, don't use your calculator. That might, it might break down. Um, <laughs> but, uh, but, yeah, no, I mean, it, it was one of those shows where you could tell um, it, it was on a very specific path. It's much stronger uh, than a lot of people want to give it credit for in the first season. Um, but there were a lot of moments where you're just like, holy shit, I don't know. I mean, even in that first episode, when you first hear the premise, whether or not you'd read Tom Parada's book already or not, when you first hear that premise and you first know that they're never going to answer the question as to where, you know, where 2% of the population disappeared to Which in the world. they did go back on. They didn't, though. Uh, well, it's okay. So, nice try, but no. Uh, but they did and they didn't. They did and they did not. Um, there was an uh, there was an we're gonna go off on a rabbit hole. Uh, there was the idea that Lindelof had where they would have actually shown it. They would have actually told us for sure. 
right. it would have eliminated the possibility that someone was lying and that there was a question to it. Uh, but Peter Berg, in all of his infinite Peter Berg? wisdom, yeah, he it wasn't. It was. It wasn't Tom Parada. No. Okay, I didn't know it was Peter Berg. Well, it wait, was... wait, are you talking about the beginning of the show? Yes. Okay, Peter Berg at the beginning of the show was like, you shouldn't tell people. Not exactly. Oh my uh, god, I don't know this story. the The story is that when they were shooting the pilot, and uh, <laughs> they're shooting the pilot, and they did the scene where the baby disappears right. in the car. Right. Uh, Lindelof had the idea on the set of shooting the other side of it, showing everyone else disappearing from the baby's point of view. Oh, that's right. I think I do remember where this. Nora's story kind of originated from the finale. Like it was this little seed that planted it. But anyway, Lindelof proposed shooting this on the day of, and Peter Berg just kind of looked at him apparently and said, "No, fuck off. We're losing the light." Like, <laughs> <laughs> that sounds just, like Peter Berg. He just didn't have time to do it, and he decided it was a bad idea, and he, they didn't do it. And it was good. It was good that they didn't do it. You never, you wouldn't want that footage, and he, nobody wanted that footage uh, later on or anything. It was just a, a good story. But that very simple idea of, of we're not going to tell the audience what happens to the biggest possible mystery you could plop down in a show. Like, right. we're just never going to tell you. Right. Seems like a terrible idea. It seems like, you know, instinctively, you're like, well, why the fuck would we watch it? And, of course, you're watching it for the, the characters and the development and, and learning how to cope with grief and, and what to do with death and to how to you know, continue living and find joy in life when the most unanswerable question that we all actually face, what happens to us when we die, isn't going to be answered. So that's what made the show so profound and beautiful. But at the time, it's a very difficult thing. That's a big idea to latch onto and say, yeah, this show is definitely going to work out. Um, But I mean, there's moments throughout. There's moments when uh, Patty does what she does in episode eight. Mm -hmm. Um, There's obviously International Assassin. International Assassin is one of those things where they talked about it when they were writing it. They talked about it when they were shooting it. They talked about it when, you know, it was coming out. You don't know if this is going to work. Like, you don't know if going to the other side, in a way, which they didn't really do, but they kind of did, is something that the audience is going to make a leap with. But mm-hmm. they kept trying, and they kept trying until the very end of the show. And all of their efforts were so grounded in this kind of basic understanding of what they were trying to discuss and what they were trying to do that it worked really, really well. And what's weird about here and now, as actually somebody on Twitter pointed out, and I'd been thinking about kind of to myself because I didn't want to draw these comparisons out, um, but there's a scene in here and now, I think it's the third episode. I think it's the third episode, yeah, okay. where Tim Robbins, his, he, sees a, he sees a buck in the middle of the road. Right. And he follows this buck. Right. And he, has, he goes face to face with this buck, right. just like Justin Thoreau does in The Leftovers. And there's a profound moment for both of them in this. And they're almost, a, I'm not going to say anymore, but they're almost a reversal of each other. Mm-hmm. There's almost a realization in the opposite direction uh, that both of them have. But beyond that very specific commonality in scenes, there's there's a similarity in the big ideas that Here and Now wants to discuss. It wants to dig into a lot of the same territory that the leftovers did. Maybe not necessarily with life and death, a la Six Feet Under, but very much with kind of where society stands, what's the best way to progress society in the right direction, how do you make a difference as an individual, um, all of these kind of profound ideas of what the meaning of life is and, and how best to go about it. And so far it's not cohesive enough, and they're the, the actual narrative doesn't gel with the ideas. They're far too idealistic in a way that makes them alien in this weird way where it feels like an alternate reality. Mm-hmm. Um, but you kind of admire the big swing of it all because not everybody even has the courage to step up to the bat. 
not everybody actually wants to take a shot. They just want to put something out there that they know they can keep making and, and they're happy with it and people are happy and it kind of checks all the boxes. That's okay. And other people are like, no, I don't want to check any of the boxes. I've got my own boxes and I don't know where they are, but we're going to find them together. And there's there's something about that that's really fun. Yeah. Um, when we started talking about doing this, this conversation, um, let's see, I'm trying to find this now. Um, basically... One of my favorite all-time things, what, my memories of Battlestar Galactica are a little fuzzy because it's been a few years since I did like a proper full-on rewatch, but I really should um, because Battlestar Galactica is a show that really was, it, it was really ahead of its time just in terms of like really enjoying screwing around with people and really and like trying to explode everything that came before and it's funny actually because a lot of it came from Ronald D Moore who co who is I believe he's officially the co-creator but he, he Ronald D Moore was DS was was Battlestar Galactica he came from Star Trek Deep Space 9 which had a pretty serialized format and then he went to Star Trek Voyager after DS9 ended and he made it like a few months as a writer on Star Trek Voyager um, I don't know how familiar you are with Star Trek Voyager, Benjamin, um, but a quick refresher. Ben that, is shaking his head no, okay. as in not very familiar. Yes. Well, the basic premise of the show was um, Voyager was its own little ship, and it was its own ship, and it got flung across the universe into an entirely different quadrant, 75, light, 75 years away from home, from Earth. So they were like, and so... And so it was about them trying to figure out a way to get back to Earth, get back to their to the quadrant they knew. Um, so it's like the Cloverfield paradox. Is that what we're getting at? No, no, no. I'm not getting at that. Here's my <laughs> here's my point with uh, with with Voyager. Voyager had like basically it was basically like Gilligan's Island in space. Like they were kind of marooned elsewhere, and they're trying to find a way home. And but they're having adventures week to week. And Ronald D. Moore came on the show, and he was like. Like in later, like like around season four, I think, and he was like, "The ship is like it's been you get they've been marooned, they've been marooned on their own. They haven't been able to go to a space dock. They haven't been able to like get proper Federation maintenance for like four years. The ship looks spotless. They never seem to run out of shuttlecraft or shuttlecraft or photon torpedoes or whatnot. Everything's fine. It's a fine ship to work on, and you you know everyone's just doing great." And he was like, this is bullshit. Like, this is not the way that things should really be working. Like, if you're going to have this premise for this show, you should really be, like, challenging people and really, like, really challenging the characters, like, making having them make really tough life-or-death decisions. And some of that does happen on Voyager, but not in a very Trek family-friendly sort of way, um, which was the show. That was what they were going for at the time. Uh, but you can better believe that when Ronald D. Moore then goes on to co-create or create, I forget exactly what his title was, but when he goes on to make Battlestar Galactica, and the promise of Battlestar Galactica, Benjamin, how familiar are you with Battlestar Galactica? Pretty, but inform our dear listeners. Basically, the show begins with a nuclear holocaust that destroys an entire civilization of 13 planets, and the remaining, like, 50,000 people um, remaining 50,000 humans are basically struggling to survive. So Ronald D. Moore is very much thinking about Star Trek Voyager when he creates this show. And that's not where, like, and so terrible things happen to people on this show for the entire four-season run. Um, 
but and it, but like it doesn't just stop with the premise. Like he took some, there's some amazing there's some amazing storytelling stuff in there that like had other showrunners like copying him. Uh, you know, there's a for example, there's a massive time jump at one point. Uh, I won't say when and where, when and why, but there, that this massive time jump like really shook up the show, totally changed the way everything, all the characters were working, all the different dynamics, and uh, it was to the point where and like I, you know, uh, Russell T Davies, who show ran uh, Doctor Who for several years, actually has flat out said he was inspired by that time jump to include a time jump of his own in a third season uh, Doctor Who episode. So I'm just kind of rambling about sci-fi TV right now. My point is is that Battlestar Galactica is two seasons of a great show with one episode that's in in season two that's not good and uh, called Black Market. Don't ever watch Black Market. It's a terrible episode. No one likes it, including the people who made it. Um, And then season three, like the first like eight episodes are interesting. There's some really good stuff in the earlier in the season. And then season three kind of like meanders. And then season four, when they knew they were wrapping up the show, has some good episodes and then just goes completely insane and bad. But it does so, it, it never it never pulls its punches. It never doesn't try something weird. And, you know, yeah, it's, it's and there's a reason why we still talk about it today and why I feel like we should talk about it more, frankly. I feel like it's one of those underappreciated shows of the 21st century. I feel like it gets a lot of respect. Yeah, but I feel like I have to constantly bring it up. Uh, I don't. I mean, I think we should examine why you feel that way more than we should necessarily be praising Battlestar Galactic even more. Not to say it doesn't deserve the credit that it's getting, but it's definitely on, you know, top twenty-five lists and, and writers' lists and, and obviously sci-fi lists. But I mean, it's it's expanded beyond the sci-fi world, you know, and people seem to really. Uh, let that show resonate with them. And, and it's interesting. Like, I feel like, you know, The Leftovers, Battlestar Galactica, these are great television programs. These are examples of of shows that took big swings and they paid off. They, they knew what they were doing with it, but it worked out. And then you've got stuff to, to me like Roadies, to me like Here and Now. I'm sure there's other examples of shows. I mean, you could even look at The Good Place. That's, that's also a success. That's a show that's taking big swings on a regular oh, yeah. basis and they're paying off in, in a beautiful way. Um, I, I think the ending of season two demands a little more discussion than it's gotten. It's uh, Ben interesting. Can I, um, can I, can I, hopefully this isn't too much of a spoiler. Well, don't spoil it. I'm not going to spoil it. I'm just going to say Australia. Yep. That was the element I was, I was when I, we, we talked about this before, that was the element I really wanted to talk to you about. Yeah. My, uh, my wonderful sister and uh, texted me that as well as soon as, as soon as she'd seen it. Um, and yeah, that's great. Uh, there, there's questions I have about the ending that will undoubtedly be answered when season three begins. I that mean, will define whether or not the choices made at the end of season two were great choices or just kind of continuing choices. Yeah. Um, but no matter what, so far the show has succeeded very well. I would argue that it's a lot closer, a lot closer. It deserves the reputation that The Leftovers has for season one and that The Good Place was figuring itself out longer and for more episodes than The Leftovers did at the start. And then it clicked and then it took off. Um, but I, I'm, I think I'm more curious at this point in the shows that don't work. Like, not more curious in a way that I want to see more... <laughs> 
shows that don't don't pay off. But more curious in discussing kind of what you guys, what what the listeners, what Liz, when when you think about those shows that maybe kind of stuck with you a little bit, and you know they were bad, like you know they they weren't good, they didn't succeed, they didn't work out. But you kind of wanted to keep watching if you were only rooting for them, if you were only hoping they'd figure it out. And I'm very much hoping that Here and Now kind of figures itself out in season one and then it'll be okay. I mean, again, we've only seen four episodes. Critics, I mean, have only seen four episodes. It just premiered its first last night. The pilot is actually very strong unto itself. Um, but, I mean, it's 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 hard to get these shows right. It's hard to try to do something original without a playbook, um, even if you always have basic, you know, structures and stuff to play with. But, um, but no, I mean, I, I, I don't know. There's, there's something about these shows that even if they're not working out entirely, it's kind of fun to watch and think about, okay, so this is what you were trying to do, and this is where it went off the rails, and then this, I, I don't really know what happened here, and you're, you're just kind of trying to figure it out along with them, which is mm. a rewarding experience unto itself. It's almost like you're studying it, uh, from outside of the show instead of just letting the show, like, take you over. Yeah. Um, well, it speaks to kind of, like, how I think, like, this is a conversation we've been having since we started working together, which was the idea of, like, defining back when it was just you and me, like, and kind of on our own, like, figuring out, like, what is TV that we should cover at IndieWire? And that question, and my, my answer for that has always been we cover TV that has a voice, that has, like, has something to say and I feel like that's you know even when when the shows that we talk about don't work when they do have something missing like as long as they do have that clarity of voice like they still feel really watchable like I feel like I'm, I'm mentioning I'm, this is the second time I'm mentioning Sensate in this conversation but yeah Sensate Sensate has an undeniable voice and an undeniable point of view even when it does something silly or something nonsensical or whatever like and that's and that's that's TV that's a value, um, yeah. which I feel like, you know, we're we're starting to get that. And you know, the shows that are like looking at the Marvel universe, for example, um, what? Continue. Um, I was just going to say that the best, the two best Marvel shows, are pretty undeniably Jessica Jones followed by Luke Cage. In that, if you're going to rank them, they're very far separated, but yes. Um. I like Luke Cage just fine. Luke Cage, Luke Cage, just, Luke Cage goes back fine. to just have. I like I, Luke Cage has a voice. Like Luke Cage has a point of view, oh. as does Jessica Jones. Both of those shows have points of view, um, and you know you can just look at how many different showrunners have been on uh, Daredevil to understand why like that show started off really interesting, and then has just continued to be like n- not feeling as essential as it could be. For ex- is the kindest way I'll put that. Um, but like you know, I don't need a season three of Daredevil. I have no interest in it. I'm going to watch it and review it because that is my lot in life. Um, but yeah, like I mean, I feel like th- that's an example of like when you let a creator have a voice and they're making their show and let them make the big swings, let them take those chances, then you know, good things happen. And when you have like something like Daredevil, which like isn't. It doesn't really push the push any metrics anywhere. I'm not, I'm not even mentioning Iron Fist because why talk about Iron Fist? But, it didn't try, nor did it take big swings. But I would also argue that I don't. I think I think Luke Cage, and I, I should say I didn't see all of Luke Cage, but I yeah. would say that Luke Cage, from what I saw, was was a very solid show. 
that definitely had a voice and a perspective. I don't feel like it took big swings. I think the only thing I've ever seen Marvel do that took a big swing is Jessica Jones, which is part of the reason I'm so very much excited about season two and hoping that they can take another one and also still kind of hold on to that beautiful noir aesthetic that they've they built up from season one. But um, but I would argue that that's, that's kind of the only one that falls into the category of what we're talking about today. Because uh, there is a difference between having a voice and taking a big swing. Right. Um, and, that's uh, fair. And you're absolutely right. What we're trying to cover in IndieWire more than anything else is the stuff that has a voice, which includes everything we're talking about and everything right. you've mentioned. Um, but the, the shows that really <laughs> kind of deserve maybe like extra credit points or something just for, for actually going after something that seems insanely difficult or would everyone 99 people out of 100 would tell you no don't do that you're screwing like that's a bad idea um and they're like no no no. i think i can figure it out those people they deserve some credit for stepping into the box well here i'm gonna i'm gonna slight i'm going to note that here's why i connect in my mind a show having a voice and a show taking big swings as one as one as as like why, why they're connected to me it's because I feel like if you don't have a point of view, if you're not, if you're making a TV show by committee, essentially, then you're not like the flashes of inspiration that lead to that craziness, that lead to Tom Parada saying he should do karaoke, that lead to Ronald D. Moore saying they should jump and put forward and forward one year and Apollo should be fat now, like that's the sort of stuff that like you know you, maybe that's not you know you when you have those creators, when you have those creators so empowered to be so act be creative that's where the big swings come from yeah no i'm the note is yeah nobody's disputing that and again yeah. like you said the, i just want to make the connection in, clear no yeah they're they're very clear and you have to have you usually don't take a big you don't take a big swing blindly usually those aren't fun that's just how bad tv happens um so you've got to have you got to have a voice you got to have a plan you've and then you've got to kind of go to the next level um but yeah it's it's interesting too that we keep talking about a lot of netflix shows because a lot of the discussion surrounding them is that they're so hands-off with their original shows that are created mm-hmm. um, that they kind of lead to one or the other. And yet, I, I think I think it's hard to come up with some, like a lot of Netflix shows, kind of like Sense8, that really went after it in a big, bold, original way. So much as it's like, well, some of these shows are different. <laughs> but well, the comedies like, have a better shot, honestly, than a lot of the dramas of being... The big swingers. What are you talking about? Like Stranger Things went and had uh, ep- that their big uh, big eleven episode. Yeah. In season two. Yeah, that's not a swing. It was. A, they took a chance on that. No, no, no. That well, we're gonna get into semantics here because we're already dealing in in terminology that's distinctly um, vague. Vague, yes. But yeah, taking a taking a big swing is very different than just taking a chance. And the chance they took was a calculated decision that was based off. A lot of other properties doing something successfully and they were like well we can copy that and look like prestige tv and then they didn't understand why people actually responded to such storytelling so anyway that's me ranting about stranger things again so maybe <laughs> i should shut up i mean it is 150 we're gonna we're getting in all the basics we've uh i've ranted about about star trek deep space nine you've granted about the leftovers what else were we missing x-files it took a lot of big swings yeah no well my favorite thing about the X-Files is that during the original run, uh, there was this, like, I think it was the first seven seasons where every season would either end with something terrible happening to Mulder or the X-Files getting shut down. And it was, like, it was like almost like clockwork. Season one, X-Files get shut down. Season two, something terrible happens to Mulder. Season three, 
Uh, actually, season three was only slightly terrible towards Mulder. Season four, something terrible happens to Mulder. Season five, X-Files get shut down. Season six, something terrible happens to Mulder. Season seven, something terrible happens to Mulder. Yeah, but at the time, with uh, with a lot of the individual episodes and some of the content they put out on TV and some of the storytelling they advanced, as well as some of the, like, I mean, a lot of Scully's arc is... is it's pretty big stuff. Like it's it's not just heavily dramatic. Like it it's it's content that, given the time period as well as broadcast television, it would have distinctly made people uncomfortable, especially if they were just thinking, "Oh, this is just a sci-fi show." Or this Are you is talking just a about like her her getting abducted and uh, her abduction, uh, her cancer? Like yeah. those are those are big things. Like those are big things that don't have to blend in with a show like this. That if it was very comfortable like taking the status quo approach of being an episode of the week kind of thing. Right. Even, I mean, now you could argue the mythology aspects of it are a failure. I know they are one a of our listener, listeners a... would, but they're still a big swing. Yeah. I mean, does it count as a big swing if the reason you have to make a creative decision is because your star gets pregnant? Hmm. Because really, like, the best thing that ever happened to the X-Files was Gillian Anderson getting pregnant in what may have been late season one, early season two. I mean, I'm not going to, I'm not going to fault him for it. I wouldn't, I wouldn't take off any points. For, for of, the circumstances requiring a, a, choi- a yeah, choice. Yeah, motivation. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they, like you said, like, they could have just stuck her behind a lamp for, you know. Exactly. For several weeks. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it yeah, was. Technically, it's a, it's a bigger swing to let her get off the show like try to let the show go oh let's not even, of her. Yeah. So, yeah there's a lot of big swings that are also just kind of seem like continuing efforts that are happening now but before we get into that we should probably wrap up and yes. uh, start talking about you know Best. shows that are on that you know are just indisputably great yeah yeah because i feel like we've ticked our boxes um happy 150 ben thank you guys so much for listening if you have listened to all 150 if you haven't that's totally understandable um, get some stickers or something to send people, some pins. Well, we could do that, yeah. I survived 150 episodes of VGTVP. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I'll, I'll make those stickers, sure. Um, yeah, if you, if you want, if you want, I survived a, a, a VGTVP 150 uh, sticker. Oh, rhymes. We could, uh, we could totally make those. Um, anyways, uh, point is, Ben, what was the best thing you watched last week? Homeland. Cool. I mean, I've only seen one. It aired last night. I really like it. As as you're listening to this, it aired last night. But I'm pretty sure I've talked about Homeland before. Um, and I'm pretty sure you guys know I kind of have a... You forgave uh, them for not, not for killing for killing, for killing killing a character, so... Yeah, he... I mean, I get some fucking hate mail over that, but um, I, I love Rupert Friend. Can't wait to see what he does next. Uh, I know he's doing the CBS All Access show, but I hope his, some of his indies work out, too. Um, but no, the, I, I think that this season is off to a great start. Uh, without him um, and uh, very excited to see more I will also say that I caught up on Corporate the new Comedy Central show hmm. very much enjoyed those six episodes uh, very very strong stuff is um, that is this it's it, dark is, this the, is there more to the season or is it only those six I think there's more I didn't look into it okay. uh, that was just what was on the press site but um, I think they've aired four or five at this point but uh, I think five but no it's it's a it's a very dark comedy about life within um a corporate machine uh and and they kind of just you know there's a lot of poking fun at kind of office habits but also some uh uh, bigger ideas a couple of i don't know if i'd say big swings yet but some some pretty solid strokes like in general like the tone and the approach is 
it's a voice it's a voice so uh so yeah check out corporate comedy central uh liz what is the best thing you watched last week disco you're gonna have to elaborate star trek discovery there it is <laughs> i i've gotten fond of calling it disco initially it kind of annoyed me a little bit um but yes uh i mean i'm kind of picking that out of i watched some good stuff i guess i feel like uh i'm also i will i disco technically is the best thing i watched but i am starting to get more and more into babylon berlin which is a really hard show for me to watch because i actually have to you know read subtitles and i'm finding it challenging uh to just have it be the one thing i'm looking at i this is usually i'm pretty good at like you know doing at, at you know paying attention to something but you really have to pay attention to babylon berlin especially because there's a lot going on with the characters and a lot going on with the period setting uh this is a show created by tom twikve um for uh and is currently streaming now on netflix and it is in german and it is about life in berlin circa 1929 which was a pretty interesting period of time in berlin um especially given what was about to happen to berlin so i thoroughly recommend it especially if you love reading subtitles i do not necessarily love it in my tv but i am pushing through because i'm really enjoying it if you've heard if you may have heard people talking about the end of episode two which includes a musical really great musical number and i'm here to report i'm confirming that that musical number is in fact freaking great you should definitely check it out i'm sure that they will because it's on netflix everything good on it's on netflix ben that's a fucking lie (laughs) What's the next thing you're looking forward to? Uh, two shows that are definitely not on Netflix. Uh, one, and they're actually, both of these are actually airing already. Um, I haven't seen the endings to either, so I'm looking forward to continuing watching them, just like I hope everybody else is. Uh, I hope you've all started the Detour, um, TBS comedy, entering its third season from Jason Jones and Samantha Bee. Um, it's so fun, you guys. Like, it's just one of those things that has a propulsive energy to it. Um, the comedy is is both very sharp in the writing and delivery. Like the performances are strong, uh, and then it's also it's got some bite to it. Like it's it's there's a lot of kind of I'm hesitant to say gross out humor because that's not really what it is. It's not just designed to be that. But there are a lot of scenes that are provocative in a in a very very shocking way. A very uh, I'm going to grab your attention right now, and you're probably not going to forget the scene kind of way. Mm-hmm. Um, but no, I, I love The Detour. It's a fantastic show, and I'm looking forward to continuing it. Um, and then The Path on Hulu, I've talked about it a million times. I'm just reminding people it is out there. Um, I occasionally feel like even though Hulu has done an amazing job sticking with the show and pushing the show, and I assume it's doing well for them, but I don't really know. Um, I saw an episode description of the latest one that popped up that just sounded terrible, and I was like, oh, God, I don't I don't think this is going to lure anybody into this if they've seen it or if they haven't. So I'm just here to remind you that I've seen enough of it to say that season three is still very, 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 very good. Uh, so please keep watching The Path. I love it. This is not, like, meant to be its last season. Like, it's meant to keep going. I believe so. But, again, I haven't seen the ending, so I don't know how it's set up. I, I, I mean, the last last two finales have definitely been open-ended and I can I imagine this thing wants to keep talking it's taking a very pointed stance on cults this year um like it kind of like it's avoided in the past but now it's become unavoidable and they're tackling these bigger issues as well as it seems to have reached a few emotional peaks with some of the characters um but you know this thing's very capable of kind of uh changing up the dynamic and starting anew so um, they could they could penny dreadful you 
<laughs> they could penny dreadful me. Please, no one ever do that. That's terrible. Uh, to penny dreadful somebody is to cancel your TV show right after airing the series finale. Or end, end it. End it. It was it not was, canceled. It was not canceled. You they, know Showtime would have made 16 seasons of that. Any other network, I wouldn't buy it. But yeah, Showtime would have made 16. I've actually been thinking, uh, I actually, uh, there's an actor from Star Trek Discovery who I found out recently is on Penny Dreadful. So I've been meaning to watch Penny Dreadful. Who? Uh, Shazad Latif. Oh, yeah. He's, he's great. Yeah. I love him. Yeah. He's, he's so pretty, Ben. He is really good in Penny Dreadful. He's so good on disco, too. Sure. So I should watch Fenton Dreadful. Well, yeah. yeah. Everybody should. I've been saying that for years. <laughs> All right, Liz. Uh, what's the next thing you're looking forward to? You're going to... You're going to... I'm basically... I'm kind of like a little... I'm, I'm making this pick because I'm a little miffed about this whole thing where the, the Olympics are happening, which means I have to wait for a couple weeks for all my TV to return. Like, who the hell said this was okay? I mean, I mean, it's nice. We get to catch up with stuff. I guess, but that means I have to wait three weeks for a new X-Files episode. Yeah, but here in Now's on, you could watch that. No, but he, but the X-Files episode looks like Mulder and Scully versus Killer Drones. How awesome is that? And it's also supposed to be a largely silent episode, which means the dialogue will be different. Um, and I'm excited. I'm excited for this episode, Ben. We get to see Scully's house in this episode. I think That's we a, have this episode. Don't we have no, screeners of No, this? we don't have a screener. All right. We only got a screener for episode six. Um, and that episode aired this week, so now I have to wait two weeks at least to watch the X Files. Maybe. And, and but we get to see Ben. I'm I'm giving you important news. I'm giving our listeners important news. We get to see Scully's house. Scully does not live with Mulder. She lives in her own house, and we get to see it in this episode. Uh, the the longer this goes on, the more convinced I am that the X Files and inhabiting Mulder's persona for all these years. Of just repressed sexual desire uh, and and repre- like just devastating uh, relationship dynamics. dynamics forced Duchovny to make Californication and embody a character who just fucks everything. <laughs> like he- who just, no matter what the problem is, the solution is to fuck it. <laughs> and then... <laughs> And he is a hero. Like, it's amazing. Like, there are some serious problems with Californication, especially in the later seasons, in terms of kind of how women characters are developed and treated. But it's amazing, like, how... How often the solution is take Moody should just go fuck that thing. Yes. And, like, how how it's framed in a way (laughs) that honestly makes it feel like... This is the proper solution. Like, he is doing the right... Like, every time he does it, you're like, no, he's doing the right thing. And then later, you see the complications and how that affects other stuff. But it's never like, oh, he's cheating on somebody. This is bad. It's never like, oh, he shouldn't do that. This is a trap. It's always like, no, no, no. Like, this is a good idea. He should do that and help her. Or she should help him. Like, it's important. (laughs) And I am convinced more than ever that it's because the Mulder and Scully relationship so thoroughly fucked up, like, just everything to do with relationships that, uh, that, that he da- had to just, he had to reset and go the complete opposite direction. I mean, that guy fucks. Yeah, thank God. Thank <laughs> God at some point on his in his on-screen career, he could have healthy sexual relationships. Okay, everything that you just said makes sense to me except for the word healthy. Nothing about Californication seems... They are. Hmm wary suspect yeah, suspect <laughs> great 
We got we got Ben's Boston accent in. This is really like we're really running the gamut. Though we didn't fucking find out what your next thing is, Liz. We got distracted. No, I'm saying the X Files. It is the X Files. Yeah, I'm looking, forward, I'm looking forward to this next episode. We get to see Scully's house. Seventh episode. Yeah. Okay. God. Also, I have Jessica Jones screeners, but oh. I can't talk about it. No, too late now. Well, I, I haven't also watched it yet, so I just I can I can just say I have Jessica Jones screeners, and someday I'll watch them, Ben. It'll be nice. Let's hope. Let's hope. Um, and you'll find out what I think and more on what I think of Jessica Jones way in the future. But you'll find out all about all of these shows and more on IndieWire.com, uh, where you find news, reviews, interviews, features, all the stuff you like. And if you like anything you find on IndieWire.com, you're going to love what you find in IndieWire's network of podcasts, including the Turn It On podcast with our own Michael Schneider, who's talking about everything you need to know right now on television. Uh, of course, Ann Thompson and Eric Cohn are into the Oscar race. Uh, it's getting heated, folks. I can tell you that Ann Thompson literally just spoke to Christopher Nolan in person at his office in the Warner Brothers studio, uh, and that interview is online. I'm sure she'll mention it on the podcast, which is Screen Talk, so make sure you listen to Screen Talk. And of course, how could we forget? The one, the only, the legend, the greatest showman himself Chris highest praise highest praise you could give a person calling him the greatest showman I'm gonna say it again because Liz kind (laughs) of stepped on his name we don't want anybody to ever you know not catch it so the greatest showman himself Chris O'Fault on the filmmaker toolkit podcast yeah that is all true and you can find Ben on Twitter at Ben T Travers and better yet you can find Liz on Twitter at Lizlet that's with an I and then an E <laughs> Thank you guys so much for listening. Uh, we will be back next week with episode 151. That is so many episodes. Um, <laughs> and uh, as always, in the meantime, until we come back, keep watching television. Keep watching television.